I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Thanks for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we have a fascinating discussion this week with Dave Mullins. Those of you who have been following along Parenting Aces for a while now may remember past interviews I've done with Dave. He is a frequent contributor to TennisRecruiting.net's website, writing some very, very insightful articles on coaching, on player development. He is a former college coach, so he has a lot of insights as to what college coaches are looking at, looking for, and how families can maximize the recruiting process to get what they need out of college tennis and in terms of development, in terms of overall growth, and also in terms of scholarship money, because let's be real, that's a big part of of what we're after here in, in the junior tennis world, um, that that carrot at the end of the journey is is the college scholarship, and they're very hard to come by, but Dave has some great information on what we should be looking at in terms of player development, and I think you're going to really enjoy this week's episode with him. If you find that you're getting a lot of benefit out of Parenting Aces, either through our written articles or our podcasts or both, our, our social media posts. I hope you will consider making a donation. There is a PayPal donate button on every page at parentingaces.com and no donation is too small. We appreciate all of it as we are donor driven and donor supported here at Parenting Aces. So for those of you who have made a donation, thank you so much. And for those of you who haven't yet, uh, I hope to add you to the list. But uh, anyway, thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Dave Mullins. Dave Mullins, calling all the way from Ireland, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast this week. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be back with you. Well, it's great to have you. And before we jump into the meat of the conversation, I sure would love it if you would give our listeners an update on what's going on in the life of Dave Mullins right now. Oh, man, where to start with that one? Um, I am, um, yeah, so I retired from college coaching the summer of 2016. I came back, moved back to Ireland with, with my family for, for a number of reasons. And, uh, um, we're really glad we we made that decision. We're still unsure as to whether we're going to stay in Ireland or, or move back to America long term. But um, for right now, it's 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 uh, it's ticked all the boxes that we wanted to tick making the move back to Ireland. So my wife's American, so um, she's she's had a little harder time adjusting than maybe myself and the kids. But uh, she's done brilliantly. But um, yeah, what's going on with me from a tennis perspective? I'm. Uh, actually pursuing my master's in sports psychology. It's always been a, a strong interest of mine and something I guess you dabble in a lot as, as a college coach, especially. Um, and I'm also serving on the board of directors for the Irish Tennis Federation, overseeing the high performance portfolio. So trying to add some value to their um, high performance setup here and, and uh, hopefully influence and um, help uh, Irish tennis move forward in uh, continue to move forward in a positive direction. 
That's fantastic. You know, it occurs to me as as you're talking about that, that as a former college coach, now working with high performance in your home country, you know, do you, what is your thought about the young Irish players pursuing a college career before going out on the pro tour? Well, it's it's something that I'm I'm trying to educate as many people on as as possible. I do some college placements. So I have a website, DaveMullinsTennis.com, where I, I do some college placements. So I'm working with maybe um, seven, eight players right now, um, just trying to help them through that process. There there seems to be um, there seems to have been a period of time because when I grew up in Ireland, uh, you know, as I, I, I finished school in, in 96, 97, came over to the States in, in 98. Um, basically back then your only option to continue playing tennis at a high level was to come to the States. And we had a good tradition of players coming over to, um, some top programs in the States and, uh, going pro out of college really wasn't talked about, really wasn't an option. Um, the education system here is very tough. Uh, parents are are very strict about academics, and and you're expected to finish school. You're expected to go to uh, to college. Um, uh, so it's it's it was kind of the standard, but it's seemed to have shift um, kind of over the last ten fifteen years, and um, less players seem to be going down that pathway. There's maybe some discussions around, well, if you go to college, you can't be a pro player. And, um, but a lot of the players that went weren't going to be pros anyway, and that shouldn't have stopped them. Um, but yeah, it seems to be, it seems to be circling back around now. And, and there, 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 uh, a lot of the players and parents that I'm interacting and with are, are, are very interested in, you know, pursuing a scholarship in the States or maybe even going over to England. England have, have invested a little bit more in their university system um, uh, over there. And, you know, from Dublin, we're about a 50-minute hour flight to, to London and to uh, most places in, in Great Britain. So that's an option as well. Right now in, in Ireland, our, our country is too small. We don't have enough universities that, uh, you know, could offer the, the type of competition that players players need. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's been part of the high performance tennis culture here. And I think it's coming back around and, uh, yeah, I'm thrilled that players are at least looking to, uh, to the States as an option. Cause I'm, I'm forever a college tennis fan and, and love college tennis just cause I got out of it from a coaching perspective. Doesn't mean that I'm, I'm uh, not a fan of, uh, what it's all about and what it can, uh, provide to someone's life and future. Yeah, that's, I mean, you have made some incredible contributions. And to my listeners that are tennisrecruiting.net followers, Dave has continued to write some really, really insightful pieces for tennis recruiting. And that was kind of the impetus for this conversation is um, some recent articles that you've published. And so let's segue into that. And the the thrust of that is really how families are spending their tennis budget and how that relates to player development and coaching and getting the most out of young players, helping them reach their full potential. So I would love for you, Dave, to talk about your kind of philosophy around how coaching should look and how you see it. Um, 
from a financial perspective, from a family perspective, and from uh, the perspective of helping kids achieve, you know, the most that they can achieve. Yeah. So yeah, the two articles you're referring to are, I, I named them uh, a shaky foundation part one and part two. And uh, I guess these are ideas that have been going around in my head for quite some time. And, and it's great that tennisrecruiting.net give me a, a platform to, you know, uh, put out some of these ideas on paper, but um, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm always trying to look at things from, from several different perspectives. And uh, now that I'm, I'm not coaching anymore, but I'm, I'm still very involved with high performance tennis. And I've, I've got a 10 year old son who's all of a sudden just the kind of, uh, the switch is just flipped for him. And all of a sudden he wants to play tennis every day. Um, and so I'm looking at it from a, parents point of view i have an older son who's very involved in in high performance soccer um so you know i i'm i've got my parents lens on i've got my former coaches lens on i've got kind of the administrative side of tennis um but i guess what really started with this article started with was that and i don't want to get too anecdotal or this was my you know i i did it this way so you should do it that way i i hate when i hear people you know focus too much on their own story but i guess as a college coach i was looking i was recruiting players um that were coming to whether it was DePaul University Northwestern or or University of Oklahoma those are the three three colleges that i coached at and these are you know top players these these are you know top you know five star blue chip recruits um you know high itf rankings all the rest of it and i guess you know when i'd speak with them through the recruiting process and kind of what they're doing on a on a weekly basis on a monthly basis on a yearly basis and many of them are, are at full-time academies or they're, you know, working with a coach on a daily basis. Um, you know, they're playing three, four hours a day. Um, and then they'd come to college and I'd be, I guess I'd be a little surprised that, uh, that they weren't really prepared. They weren't, they weren't prepared for the workouts in the gym. They weren't prepared for the intensity um, that was required on the court. Um, they weren't prepared in terms of, um, you know, even the basics of getting ready to go compete and then how they're evaluating their competition uh, after they compete. Um, and I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, well, okay, I got, I understand why I wasn't prepared for college tennis because I got maybe one, one lesson, one, one hour lesson a week. Um, I played, you know, five or six days a week, maybe for an hour, maybe for two hours, but there definitely wasn't a coach around. I had no, um, you know, off court input in terms of, uh, you know, conditioning or nutrition or anything like that. So I kind of understood why, why I wasn't prepared for college tennis, but I'm scratching my head as to why, why this, I guess, current generation weren't as prepared as, as I thought they would be. So I see parents, um, I guess parents and players, they're investing a lot of money and a lot of time into, um, into their tennis, but they, they seem very unprepared or they're not really getting the return uh, on their investment, I guess, from a time and money perspective, from, from what I can tell, I, I guess, I, I guess I'd expect them to be more prepared. I'd expect them to be better tennis players as well. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm also, I, I compete now again, since I, 
since I gave up coaching. Um, I love playing tournaments and league and stuff like that. And I'm competing against junior players or college players. And I'm holding my own just fine. And I'm like, well, I'm 40 years old. How, how, am I, how am I competing with somebody who's playing, you know, three hours a day, seven days a week? It, it, so I'm, I'm scratching my head at all of this. And that's, that's where this um, article came about. So to kind of get into the article, I'm, I'm, I'm gay, I guess I'm, I'm asking parents to look at their budget because I'm, I'm not about parents spending any more money than they're already spending. I, it's, it's already an extremely expensive sport. I'm all about, you know, save money wherever you can, but really drill down to, you know, if you're making an investment in something, you know, be very sure that you're getting the return you're expecting on it. And I think parents are throwing money at a, at a lot of different things, whether that's, you know, tennis coaching, um, maybe it's equipment, maybe it's tournaments or rankings, and they're not they're just maybe following the crowd a little bit and they're, well, so-and-so is doing this, this other player at this club down the street's doing this. And well, if, if he or she's doing it, then maybe I've got to do it. They're, they've got, you know, three hour um, or, or, you know, three lessons a week with their private coach. So we better do four or they're going to play 25 tournaments a year. So we better go play 30 tournaments a year. And, and they're not really drilling into, well, what does the player need? What, what, what really is going to make the difference in terms of the hours and the money that we're putting in? So I guess I'm asking parents to, to really think a little more critically uh, about these areas because I know, they, I know they want to save money. I know they, they don't want to waste money. Um, but I, I guess... By the time their their child is eighteen, or at least uh, maybe I'm hoping this for for my children that when they're eighteen, that uh, any input they've they've received from from coaches or or experts in any area, that all that's uh, coming together to allow them to be prepared for the challenges of of college tennis, and that they they're able to within the first few weeks, months, uh, semester really get a foothold and be prepared for the challenges that are going to come their way. So um, I can keep going, Lisa. Will I go into more of the specifics or I'm, <laughs> well, I'm rattling yeah. on here? No, no, no. It's great. And, and I do want you to get more into the specifics. But before we do that, I wanted to just mention that I recently got an email from a parent who, you know, the the Australian Open isn't that far behind us now. And and this parent contacted me really curious to learn more about, and I'm using air quotes, the the Richard Williams approach to player development and yeah. the fact that the Williams sisters did not play a lot of junior events. And now we see Naomi Osaka saying that, you know, she's kind of followed that model. Um we know Chris Eubanks followed that model. Coco Goff has followed that model. Um, you know, although she's still so young, I don't know that we can really put her in that category. But, you know, there are other ways to develop top players other than, like you're saying, spending money traveling to more tournaments. And I'd love to get your thoughts on you know, what is, is it possible to bypass the junior competition system 
and still have a player develop to a high level? Uh, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I know, know the answer to that. I I don't. I mean, it's 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 really hard because yeah, you you you'd have to have a lot of uh, courage to be willing to bypass that system and and go your own way. Um, I mean, I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to help players here in Ireland understand is that th- there isn't there isn't one one pathway to a college scholarship that they 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 need to be they need to be getting results from a, a range of different sources because I think uh, before a lot of our players, they felt like, well, they just have to go down the ITF path, that that was the only way um, for them to get a scholarship and that they would be based off their ITF ranking. And, and I'm trying to get them now to play a bunch of different tournaments. So they play the junior national tournaments here. They play men's and ladies opens where they can. They play league tennis. They go over to England and and kind of piggyback off their system there with LTA tournaments, UTR tournaments, with progress tour tournaments. I know you had Barry Fulcher on talking about the progress tour. And so there's more Irish players going over there because we can get really cheap flights over to to England and uh, obviously a very short trip. It's a weekend. You're not missing a week of school. Um, but I'm also trying to get players within their club. Like, you know, I, I'm scratching my head when a 12-year-old has to fly to Poland or America or somewhere else to get competition. I'm thinking, like, even if you're the number one 12-year-old in Ireland, there's probably there's got to be at least 250 players that can still kick your ass because right. you're 12. <laughs> and there's some 47-year-old at a club five miles away that probably looks awful, but can really, you know, give you a great match. And is that helping your development more than uh, taking that trip to, uh, you know, over to Poland and maybe only getting one or two matches um, and spending all that money and that time and, and uh, all the rest of it. So I guess, yes, you, you can bypass, you can't bypass competition, uh, I believe. I, I believe that that's uh, another thing I'm kind of seeing in, in Ireland is that we we kind of train nine months a year and then we squeeze all our tournaments into the summer and we compete, you know, for two or three months. And then we go back to training and we train six days a week and we never compete. Like we have it backwards that I feel like, well, I, I, I practice so I could compete. I, I, <laughs> I didn't really like to practice. I, I just love competing. So I, I, I would seek out competition wherever I could find it because that ticked the box for competition and practice. Um, but I think a lot of players have now uh, are hiding behind their training and their practice and maybe not competing uh, enough. I actually have a, another article coming out this month on tennis recruiting that tackles some of some of those uh some of those issues so um but yeah i I know it's again long-winded answer to your question lisa but i guess you know there's there's you can find competition all over the place if you really again think critically about it it's interesting because i when i grew up and i've talked about this a lot recently you know, you played anybody and everybody that was willing to get on the court with you. It didn't matter their gender, their age, their level. You know, it was just the experience of being on a tennis court with somebody across the net. And I feel like, you know, the player that is the junior player who does that is going to have a much more complete game, is going to be much better prepared to handle 
adversity because as you mentioned, you know, if you play the 47 year old, it may not be pretty across the net from you. You know, the strokes may be in fact quite ugly. Um, The shots might be quite ugly, but as a junior, if you learn how to handle all of that stuff, you are so much better prepared when you're facing opponents, you know, at the national level or at the collegiate level, because not everybody plays the same way. And the more diversity you can get coming up, the better prepared you are to handle that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I really think that's uh, it's a lost art. And, and maybe, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I'm being unrealistic um, with that because, you know, child protection issues and, um, you know, I, I don't know, like, yeah, I'd go take the bus, go play some uh, at the age of 12 and go play some 40 year old at a club somewhere and wouldn't think anything of it. But, um, you know, something has changed within the culture and, and there, there's a lot of things we could talk about in that, just our culture in general in, in the Western world. But, um, but there has been, I guess, people have been, I don't know, pushed towards more coaching and that they feel like if they're they're not getting um, the same amount of coaching as somebody else, then uh, they're not going to be good enough. They're going to fall behind and all those other fears that people have. Whereas, yeah, maybe going and playing some unorthodox game, game style uh, and replacing that um, with a coaching lesson, or maybe, you know, you pay somebody $15 instead of $80 right. to, um, to run you around the court and you've got to, you know, they're serve volleying or chip charging at you or so, I don't know, something. And you're trying to just figure out in your own mind how you're going to beat that without a coach um, standing behind you or sitting on the court or uh, trying to dictate how, how you should play and what decisions you should make. Um, I, I just feel like we're robbing we're robbing a lot of these kids of their autonomy within the sport. And, and uh, we know that's uh, in order for them to stay in the sport and enjoy the sport that they're, they're going they're They want autonomy. They need autonomy. And, and yes, maybe their technique isn't perfect or ideal and doesn't tick all the boxes as to what we'd like to see, but maybe they're developing themselves in other ways. Maybe they're just smarter and more competitive than the next person. And they can, kind of hide some of those technical flaws if they're not too too major. Right, right. Well, let's let's get back to the thrust of your articles because I really want to delve a little deeper into that. The whole idea of looking at the pot of money that a family mm-hmm. has available for tennis development and figuring out the best way to divvy that up and and you have some pretty clear ideas on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it could go a lot of different ways. I just, I, you know, I, I believe that at different points in your life, you, you need different experts to come in and and help you. And, uh, and that, that's not necessarily just in tennis, but from a, from a tennis perspective that yes, at an early age, you, you definitely want to establish a good technique and, and you don't want to, you know, have a technique that's going to limit um, you in competition or is going to lead to injury or something like that. Now, obviously, we don't want that. But once that technique is is set, like uh, in, in one of the articles, I include the video, I think, of Nadal and Gasquet and um, a couple of other players, Chilich maybe. And, and uh, Del Potro. 
yeah. yeah. And it's like you look at these guys and it's like they're, they really, they haven't changed a whole lot. Their technique is, is quite similar to what you see now on the, on the television. And um, so, so, yeah, obviously we want that technique uh, to be set. But I guess what I'm encouraging people to look at then is, okay, well, then you get to say age 13, 14, and there is a major technical flaw. Well, then maybe, you know, you want to uh, hire a biomechanist uh, mechanist to, um, to really break down that particular stroke that maybe, you know, your, your coach maybe isn't equipped to, to make that, that big a change and, and maybe is relying on their eyesight or maybe they just they know the player so well and, and kind of just got maybe a little bit complacent through the years and kind of it would the forehand say it was it was working so we'll we'll just leave it be kind of thing but maybe the grips got too extreme or or you know it's it's uh really breaking down under pressure or something like that well maybe it is worth just taking that chunk of money maybe it's five hundred dollars and you know not doing private lessons and using that five hundred dollars to uh, fix that shot and really get the feedback that you need, or maybe it's not going to. Uh, it's playing two less tournaments, or maybe it's going without new tennis rackets or stringing your own rackets or something like that. But you're you're not you're not adding that five hundred dollars on to the the five thousand dollars that you're already spending. You're just you're moving that money around, and then same as they you know as they're as they're getting more serious about their tennis and. Um, they've got to learn about, uh, you know, how to strengthen their bodies, how to recover. And again, to expect a tennis coach to be up to date all the time on um, what they need or what advice they need to give to their players in these areas and expect them to be experts. I don't think that's fair to the tennis coach. They want to be well informed, but they also need to be able to take a step back and say, you know what? You're you're losing matches because of your 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 fitness, or you're losing matches because you're always getting injured. And maybe maybe it's it's a good time to take a three month break from from tennis lessons and go work with a trainer, uh, get a program in place, um, get familiar with with the gym, get familiar with uh, what habits you need to build around um, you know recovering and preparing to play and all the rest of it. And then let's let's get you fit, and then we'll get back to our tennis lessons in three months. Now maybe this is pie in the sky, and no coach would ever say that, but uh, I would as a coach if I if I took a player as far as I thought I I could take them, uh, I'd absolutely tell them to move on. And I believe there's I, I do believe there's lots of great coaches out there that would say, look, I've taken you this far. Um, I don't have the expertise in this particular area. Um, you know, let's sit down and talk about this so we can make sure that you're getting the feedback that you need. And we could apply that to sports psychology. We can apply it to nutrition. I just think, you know, parents need to, to know that it's, it's, uh, it's far more than just the technical coaching. These players need so much more than that. And not just for tennis, but for the rest of their lives. Like if they understood how to set goals and to you know um you know write down exactly the the process that's required to uh, uh accomplishing those goals and and uh um you know you apply it to so many different things lisa but i, I i'm just i just think if they look at their 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 budget they look at their pot of the money how they're spending it 
what is the return that they're getting on? What are the weaknesses? What's the stage of development? Um, where do they need help? And maybe they want to divvy that money uh, a different way to give the child um, really what they need to continue to develop. I think, and one of the kind of articles I have going around in my mind right now is just how stagnant so many players get. Like they, you know, they're, let's say they're ranked 80 in the under 12s, their last year in the under 12s. And then they're ranked 80 again in the under 14s. They're ranked 78 in the 16s. They're, you know, and then they get to college. And I guess I'd see it from the college level because I'd felt like so often these players would just get stuck at the number that they were at. Oh, mm. he's a five player. She's a six player. And they stay at that number and they never break out because they continue to do the same things they've always done. Right. And then they're wondering why they're not, they're not improving at all because they've done nothing to break out of the, the habits that they formed. And it's like, oh, well, what we've been doing is good enough. We're kind of progressing, not getting any worse, uh, kind of getting a little bit better. But they're not really great. You know, they're not having that jump from number seven on the team to number two, or they're not going from number 80 to number 20. I, I know those things are happening, but I don't think they're happening enough because I think people just get stuck in their ways from an, an early age. They don't mix things up. It's like going to the gym and doing the same workout every, every time you go. Obviously, you're not you're going to get to a plateau very quickly. And unless you keep mixing these things up and throwing different challenges your way, you're, you're really not going to get any better. You know, Dave, one of the things you just said about taking three months off to work on, let's say, fitness or the mental side of the game, I, I want to dig deeper into that because I think a lot of parents here take three months off and say, oh my gosh, we can't do that. My kid's ranking's going to fall behind. You know, he's going to miss this tournament and that tournament. And, you know, junior tennis is such a short period of time. We can't afford to take any time away from the competition and the court and yada, yada. I, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, yeah, it relates to my, my last point is that, well, you're, you're just going to stay, you're going to stay stagnant. Yes, you're going to go to that tournament and, you're going to expect to get to the quarterfinals because you got to the quarterfinals last time and then you get to the quarterfinals and you're happy with that because you got to the quarterfinals and you got a few more points and you stayed around the same ranking. I guess sometimes you have to, again, bring it back to life. You know, if, if you're, you're, you're far better off taking some time to plan, right? You know, we get this idea, we get excited about something that we really want to do like i want to i want to learn the guitar so i go and i buy a guitar and i you know i sit down and i and i i, I uh you know buy a book or i get an online uh, lesson or something like that um but i haven't really delved into you know well what's my practice going to look like you know am i going to practice 3 days a week am i going to practice 4 days a week and at what time because pretty soon that excitement's going to wear off and I'm going to, you know, put the guitar in the corner of the room. And so we, we've got to sit down and plan and be very deliberate about what we're doing. So if, if a player isn't really making progress, I think a lot of the first thing that the parents do often is, oh, well, we'll change coaches. Right. Well, it's probably not, it's probably not the answer. It's, it's, it's probably deeper than that. Well, why are they losing matches? You know, is it is it is it a mental uh, issue? Is it 
uh, a nutritional issue? Is it a, a strength and conditioning? Is it is it um, you know a travel issue that you know it could be so many different things? But I think I think we just we we think about it on such a surface level, you know, and, and somewhat simplistic level, and we don't really get beneath the surface and sit down and say, okay, well. I'm losing matches because every time I get to, you know, four all in the first set, I start, you know, freaking out about, you know, um, am I going to hold serve or, or uh, you know, I start getting nervous and my, my racket head speed slows down and, um, you know, okay, okay, well, that's helpful. Well, is the tennis coach equipped to help the player with that? That's the first question you got to ask. Okay, well, no, the tennis coach isn't equipped. So where can we go? Uh, or what service can we avail of that can can help us in this area? And maybe it is worth taking. A, a, it doesn't mean that they stop playing tennis for three months. It just may be that they're not there. Instead of getting um, you know two lessons a week, they're getting one lesson a week, and the other lesson that money is going to the the, the mental performance coach or the sports psychologist. And for those three months once once a week they're with the tennis coach once a week they're with the the sports psychologist and maybe after three months the the player has some tools and um you know has some strategies as to uh you know how to get through those nervy moments in a tennis match and by taking that step back they've probably taken three steps forward right because if that's that issue is not tackled then that issue is going to stay with them for the next two five ten years and it's like, well, why not, why not have just taken a few months out at age 14 or whatever to deal with that so that they didn't have to deal with it again uh, from that point forward? Right. And, you know, it's, I can hear people listening to this and saying, but, but it's not supposed to be about results. We're not supposed to focus on winning and losing. And it occurs to me as I'm listening to you, Dave, that, the way you look at the wins and losses is not about ranking or rating, but rather using wins and losses as a way to evaluate whether or not your child is making progress in their overall development. So as you said, if the child is losing every tournament in the third round, what's going on that's causing that loss every time? It's not that we're upset that the kid has lost in the third round. It's that we're trying to figure out why she's losing in the third round. And if it has nothing to do with the way she's hitting the ball, what does it have to do with and how can we address that and hopefully fix it? Yes, no, I think you've articulated it extremely well there. Yeah, it's it's just it is the results are, are some feedback and it's and it's we all need feedback and ultimately they're out practicing, they're out training, they're out working hard so that they can go compete and 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 uh um figure out if what they're doing on a weekly basis on the training court is translating. Oh, I just lost you, Dave. Dave, I've lost you. Isn't the Wait, one they see. Dave, I lost you for a minute there. Yeah. So you said, um, so what we're trying to do is figure out if what they're doing on a weekly basis on the practice court, and then you disappeared. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, the, sorry, a call came in there. That must have kicked me off. Um, 
Yeah. So, so the, 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 the matches are our feedback and, uh, you know, everybody looks pretty good on the practice court and, and is loose and hits a great ball, but it's, it's really what is happening on competition day. And if these players want to advance, then they've got to analyze their competition. I guess that's the other thing that I'm, that I would see with these 18 year olds coming to college that, they had no real mechanism as to how to evaluate their performances. It was just, uh, I lost, so I played like crap. And yeah. <laughs> that, that was it, you know. And, and, you know, you'd have to spend time with them to try and get them to understand that, no, I, I get that you lost, but, but you didn't play crap. And uh, let's really get underneath the surface as to um, what happened out there so that we can... Uh, learn from it and then get to work tomorrow or the next day on um, fixing some of those things that didn't go your 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 way this time um so yeah it's it's yeah again it, it's definitely not about the the rankings or, or the wins or, or any of that stuff um especially at the early ages okay it gets more important as they get older for sure um but it's it it's uh it's a tool that you can use um, and look, uh, you know, I say, okay, the players losing in the quarterfinals each week. Well, you know, each tournament's different, obviously, and the strength and of who they played and uh, what their draw was and all the rest of it. But it's it's an example of of I guess players do get stagnant. They get stuck into um, what you know. They continue to do what they've always done. The the coaches maybe are guilty of continuing to do what they've always done with that player. Um, so the player doesn't have any new stimuli coming at them. And uh, with that, they, they just kind of get stuck and don't develop um, to, yeah, I guess their, their full potential. Right, right. And, you know, again, I mean, yes, the wins and losses are an important piece of the puzzle, but for the vast majority of our children, College tennis is kind of the pinnacle, you know, that's what they're striving for. And beyond college, we hope they're going to continue to love the game and continue to participate in the game, whether it's through league play or playing open tournaments or whatever. But it's not life or death. And and if if we can help them continue to move forward in their development, Maybe we can avoid burnout. Maybe by taking a step back and, you know, evaluating why they're not getting past a certain level in tournaments, maybe we're going to identify a potential injury that's waiting to happen and we can ward that off and help them stay in the game longer term. You know, maybe it's a, a mindset, as you said, and maybe we can get them the assistance and coaching they need from a mental side that's not only going to help them win more tennis matches, but it's going to help them in their interpersonal relationships and in their professional careers once they're out in the quote real world, you know, in a job. And, and so to use tennis as a vehicle to develop these young people into, you know, these amazing productive adult human beings, that's the goal. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it is completely. And, uh, and, and we, we lose sight of that all the time. I mean, it's, it's, 
and and this is what I see as well because I hear people like even in my age, you know, and they'll say, "Oh, I, you know, sports was great. Uh, you know, it developed me into the person I am today." And then I'll kind of challenge them that on them, you know, a little bit because it's it's kind of cliched and and people say it, but I don't think parents, I don't think coaches are explicit enough about the lessons that they're learning on a tennis court, the lessons they're learning from, from training and preparing to, to compete and from competition and then trying to tie that back to, to the, the real world and, and their future. Um, I, I don't think people are being explicit. and we're, we're kind of, we're throwing them out there for coaching. We're throwing them out there for competition and we're kind of hoping secretly that uh oh, they'll they'll learn some good life lessons through this you know they'll but I, I don't think i don't think the kids are you know i i just feel like we need to be more explicit i guess that's what i'm trying to do through my writing a little bit and trying to tie it back to a lot of the time how this is going to help them yeah later in life because uh yeah look as a parent of like i said a 10 and 13 year old I could care less how good at tennis or soccer they are. They'll probably listen to this one day. Like I, they, they know I, I, I don't, I don't care. I just, I want them to get as much out of uh, their time playing these sports as, as they possibly can. But I'm constantly tying uh, back their experiences because uh, you know, like my kids are, they, they have a great life. You know, again, we live, we're middle-class Western world people. There's very little adversity that our, our kids are, are put through. Right. And, you know, the, the sport field actually uh, puts them through a little bit of adversity, which I'm, I'm so thankful for. And so I'm like my 13 year old now, you know, he's developing some morning habits, you know, morning routines where he's getting up and he's stretching and he's rolling and he's doing some meditation before he even has breakfast. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a skill he's going to have for the rest of his life. He's going to know when he wakes up in the morning, what he needs to do to feel good for the rest of his day and have his body in a position to uh, his body and his mind to be prepared to tackle the day. I mean, those are habits that he's creating now at age 13. And that's been influenced by uh, his sport and the people he's looking up to in his sport. It's not, it's maybe it's been influenced a little bit by myself and my wife, but you know, he's at that age where he's like, yeah, mom and dad, you know, what do they know kind of thing. Sure. He's developing these habits because he wants to he wants to play at a high level. Now, whether he does or doesn't, you know, is inconsequential to me, but I know that he's going to take all these lessons, you know, he's eating better now, he's drinking more water, like all these things that, you know, you want your kids to, to do, um, and you hope that they develop these habits, these healthy habits for the rest of their life. And that's, that's really what uh, we're using sport. And obviously in our case, you know, we're speaking here today about tennis um, and the listeners, that's, that's really what, this is the tool that tennis can be for, for your kids. I mean, and not only that, I, I've spoken before about the fact that, you know, my tennis playing kid is no longer playing tennis. He has moved into music production, but I mean, you know, he has even admitted, even though he still hasn't moved 
to that place where he's fully willing to admit the gifts that he gained from the sport. But, but even he has said, you know, the, the patience that is required to kind of break into the music scene and music production and, and editing and all of that, those are skills that he developed through playing tennis. And while he's hasn't touched a tennis racket in over a year, he's still putting those skills to use in a different way and a way that's bringing him a lot of joy and hopefully will bring him some success down the road. And, you know, it's, I mean, you just never know where life's going to take you, but like you said, the, these positive behaviors and, and experiences that they learn through sport can apply in a myriad of environments, not just being on a court or on a field. Yeah, and that's good. It's, it's brilliant to hear. And, and I think, uh, yeah, a lot of tennis players will, will have stories like that. And I guess what I'm, I'm trying to, what I'm, I guess, hoping for future generations that they have um, many different influences from many different experts, you know, that, yes, you want the tennis coach to be a huge influence and probably the number one influencer uh, in terms of, um, you know, their, their, their overall game development. But wouldn't it be great to have a few other people in your corner that you're learning these other, you know, these other skills and tools um, that you can absolutely apply for, for year, you know, decade, the rest of your life, because, you know, the, the forehand technique, like that's probably going to help you up until, uh, whatever age you, you stop playing, uh, you know, at a serious level, obviously you can play for hopefully till a very old age, but at a serious level, um, you know, that forehand technique is, 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 is going to be important, but it's the other, it's the other things around the tennis that you're going to be able to apply for for many years to come. So I guess, you know, their mentors can come in, in many different forms. And like I said, even if it's finding that 40-year-old uh, at, 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 you know, a club who's just looking for a good hit and uh, maybe played a bit of college tennis or something like that, like that person could end up being uh, a huge influence on, on your kid's life. Um, so I guess, yeah, just being more being more aware of uh i don't know the bigger picture and yes. um, and and having more holistic approach to athletic development and and like i said we're spe speaking specifically about tennis but i think any any um uh any athlete uh needs to open themselves up to to feedback from all different areas because these sports are played at, at such um such a high level now and and uh the demands are are great Sure, sure. And to my listeners, I just uh, want to let y'all know that I will have links to Dave's articles in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So be sure and check those out and read the articles. They're not long, but they are chock full of wisdom and insight that I think it's important that we all read and understand. So Dave, I want to switch gears really quickly because we're coming to the end of our hour and you mentioned that you are going back for a master's degree and you're working on a thesis. And I, as you told me in an email, the, the theme of your thesis is college tennis coaches views on the development of tennis players. I, 
I'm fascinated. Like I'm so <laughs> excited to read this and I'd love for you to take a couple minutes and tell our audience what that's about and what you're hoping to learn. Yeah, thank you. No, it's it's been it's been great to go back to college after all these years and get back into um, you know, a more formal learning and, and environment and um kind of open myself up to huge amounts of uh you know i've accessed all these research papers now that um you know i i guess i didn't even know were were out there but there's there's a huge amount of research uh, uh in all aspects that you you just can't believe that somebody's actually researched this particular topic but as i was going through the research um i noticed that there was kind of a lack of um a lack of research or or quantitative analysis on um, you know, getting the views of of college coaches, not not just in tennis, but in all sports. And I just think, I just love the college uh, coach community. Um, I just think they're a really switched on bunch um, that are are trying to, you know, they're trying to evolve beyond just um, I guess the tennis side of things. They're they're looking at you know team building they're looking at developing leadership they're they're just looking at so many different aspects of of developing i guess human beings and um so what i'm interested in is learning from coaches it's not necessarily the most successful in terms of the traditional sense like oh you know tell me about the player who's the two-time all-american and went on to you know being top 100 in the world i'm interested in that player that maybe was a walk-on in year one and by year three was you know playing number two in their lineup or um that player that was you know uh you know started low on their lineup and then uh made their their way maybe to to number six uh but just you know we've all had players as coaches that you know that player is maximizing every bit of their ability and uh they they may never get anywhere near to play number one but you know that they're they're getting everything out of themselves like i'm 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 interested in in that player in that person and i know we can't bottle it but i'd love if we could bottle it and share it with as many uh kids as possible so that they they can learn from these players because Otherwise, we won't learn about these players. There's never any stories or YouTube clips about that person at number six who's, uh, you know, maybe going 500 but is maximizing every bit of their potential. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to speak to coaches, uh, college coaches, about about that and, and try and understand kind of the psychological characteristics. Um, and then after talking with about 20 coaches or so, just pulling out the themes and uh, see where that crossover is and, and see if there are themes there or if every coach has a different story to tell. Um, but I, I would imagine that there are some themes there and that there will be some crossover and that um, maybe it's maybe it's a piece of research that can be tacked onto something else or it's a standalone piece that can maybe help coaches in the recruiting process a little bit because if they know these are the general psychological characteristics that uh, allow players to maximize their potential, then they can look for that more in the recruiting process. And then hopefully it's something that can help junior players as well as, as um, they look to, you know, make the most of, of their careers that they want to adopt some of these, um, you know, uh, characteristics uh, or, or work towards adopting some of these characteristics if they don't already possess them. 
I love that. I, I'm so fascinated and I cannot wait to read your thesis once it's complete. You, Thank you. you offered to send it to me, so I, I'm going to hold you to that. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do another podcast once you're done with your okay. research. And, cool. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd yeah. love that. I'll let you know. Uh, yeah, I'll probably... I'll start my thesis. Um, uh, I'm, I'm under the or getting ready to put in my ethics review right now. So I hope to get going with some of the interviews uh, in April, May, and then uh, we'll spend the rest of the summer uh, researching, pulling all those uh, interviews together, and uh, hopefully you can come up with uh, something interesting. Fantastic! I'm sure you will. I'm sure you Thank will. You. Well, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us again. I, I always love talking to you. Forget um, the accents. Fabulous. So that's always a treat. But but beyond the accent, I love your wisdom and your thoughtfulness and your willingness to share that with a wider audience. And um, I just always look forward to our chats and I look forward to your articles so much. And so thank you, Dave. Oh, well, thank you, Lisa. Those are really kind words. And, and uh, no, it's, it's great. I, I'm, I thank you for, uh, for reading them. I'm always, I'm always shocked when people uh, say they read this or read that, even here in Ireland. Uh, um, but it, it's really cool to get that feedback. And when I get that feedback, it, yeah, it makes me want to um, spend a little more time on these articles and um, really give them some thought and edit several times so that the, the stuff that I'm putting out there, maybe sometimes I think some people, maybe it's a little hard and maybe a little too honest at times, uh, but part of it is I'm trying to get their attention a little bit. And, and usually I finish my articles with, with some something positive, uh, but initially it might look a little negative, but if they keep reading, um, they'll see that, that my heart is in the right place. But no, thank you for all you do for for um, for tennis, and and it's it's a vital service that you're providing. And I know, look, I, I come across parents all the time that are just they didn't play tennis at a high level, they didn't play tennis at all, and they're they're lost. They're just walking around in the dark trying to figure out the the whole tennis landscape and tennis scene and uh, help their kids the best the best they can. And uh, so the people that you have on your, your podcast and the efforts that you put in are, are really helping uh, these parents uh, make that progression and, and help their kids uh, in a really valuable way. Well, that's very sweet of you to say. It's um, always interesting to me and I learn from every single person I chat with. So it's, you know, it's definitely a two way street, but uh, again, Dave Mullins, thank you so much for your time. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.